Welcome to The Hope Project. On this podcast, we talk about matters of sex, sexuality, relationships, shame, and so much more. The goal of this podcast is always to bring hope to your sexuality and freedom from any unhealthy views you may have been taught growing up. And if you've enjoyed what this project is aspiring to do, then there are a couple ways you can support us. First, you can leave a review on the channel. This helps us stay relevant to the audiences we are trying to reach. Second, you can go to our Patreon and see how to support us financially. We are so grateful to all the people who have supported us and continue to support us on this project. This episode is a part of Season 2. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the trailer for Season 2, I recommend you do that now before listening to this episode. On today's episode, I have Lena Ponder joining me. We're going to be talking about sexual abuse um, and how that affects us and especially how that affects children. And so you are a victim of sexual abuse or have not really fully processed it yet, I just pray you'd use discretion um, before you listen to this episode. I think she'll really offer words of advice and counsel and hope for you. Um, and she'll really offer a path forward towards healing for you. But again, I just, I just ask that you would think about um, before you listen to this episode in case something might trigger you, might bring up unwanted thoughts or feelings, um, that you really ponder whether or not you want to listen to this episode. Regardless, um, I think she has a lot to say and a lot of good insights um, for you to find healing um, from your past and from things that really weren't your fault. So let's dive on in. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am sitting here with Dr. Ponder and we're going to be talking about sexual abuse um, and she's going to give us a lot of insight and feedback <laughs> um, and a lot of her thoughts on this. She's, she's worked in this uh, with a little bit um, of her own kind of working as a counselor um, and a little bit of the specific work she's done, but she'll get into all that. Um, so Dr. Ponder, could you just kind of introduce yourself to us, explain where you came from, what you're doing now? Yeah, thanks for inviting me to be on the podcast, um, Colton. And so I am a clinical psychologist. Um, and I also prior to that spent some years in ministry and also went to seminary at Talbot School of Theology and got trained as a spiritual director. So I kind mm-hmm. of find myself both in interest and um, in work, kind of in both both worlds. Um, a lot of my work hours are, um, you know, meeting with clients, counseling. That's the, mm-hmm. the majority of my work. But I also teach at Talbot as well in the mm-hmm. pastoral care and counseling mm-hmm. program. Yeah. So you have a master's in spiritual formation and soul care, right? Is that yes. the official title? Yeah. <laughs> and then you also have a master's in counseling. Yes, and and then a side Yeah, yeah as <laughs> so well. for yeah. those listening, she's she's got a wide variety of degrees. A lot of most, letters yeah. behind my name. <laughs> most people have like one or the one or the other. They either have like their masters in spiritual formation, which is more the Christian kind of counseling world, maybe, and mm-hmm. then or a just more clinical. Mm-hmm. And so Dr. Ponder can kind of integrate, I think, better than most people, just because she has that background. But anyway, we're talking about sexual abuse today. Um, so could you maybe just define mm-hmm. what that is for someone who who may like everyone's heard the term sexual abuse mm-hmm. and we've seen it in the news um, and we see it in our culture. But what actually is sexual abuse? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that it, it is important to kind of pause and, and try to understand because um, we have different associations mm-hmm. or images or stories mm-hmm. that we immediately associate. But um, some key key points would be that, um, you know, that it's unwanted sexual activity hmm. and with perpetrators using unwanted force, making threats, maybe taking advantage of victims that are not able to give consent. And this mm-hmm. could also be sexual harassment um, and any form of, again, unwanted sexual contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, this may occur between spouses and also includes the misuse of power at work. Hmm. It doesn't always involve touch. Um, 
and it may be in verbal and visual form. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes victims and perpetrators actually know each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's helpful because I think most people will probably think of it as this is a woman jogging in the park and a man you know, mm-hmm. attacks her mm-hmm. and rapes her or something. But Which happens. Yeah, but which yeah. happens, yeah, of yeah. course. So that's It's a valid story, mm-hmm. but it's much broader than that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's between spouses. Mm-hmm. It can be between family members, which we are all very aware of, but it can also be in the workplace. It can mm-hmm. be non-physical uh, mm-hmm. in a sense. And so I think that's helpful because we're not going to be here on the podcast comparing which sexual abuse is worse. Sexual abuse mm. is sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think people in culture often mm. will dismiss or kind of denounce someone. It's like, well, you weren't, it wasn't as bad as someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we want to make sure we don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a helpful definition. Mm-hmm. So what is maybe the difference between sexual abuse and sexual assault? Why do we have these two terms? Mm-hmm. Um, are they the same thing or is one an umbrella term for the other? Mm-hmm. What is the difference between the two? Yeah. Well, maybe it's easier to just start with um, sexual assault, um, where that one, um, the perpetrator may be forcing another to engage in in a sexual act. Mm-hmm. And again, threat or force may be used, mm-hmm. which could include, you know, being drugged, um, mm-hmm. emotionally mm-hmm. blackmailed, that type mm-hmm. of thing. Um, this may include both genital penetration or touching of the genitals without his or her consent. Hmm. And there's varying degrees of sexual assault, um, with rape being the most extreme. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people may make a distinction between abuse and assault with regards to kind of the length of time. People might talk about abuse as maybe it's more longstanding or kind of Mm -hmm. more like that umbrella or overarching thing, whereas an assault might be talking about a specific incident. Now, granted, Mm -hmm. that incident may occur, you know, more than one time Mm -hmm. or more repeatedly, but it's talking more about that Mm -hmm. actual kind of interaction. Um, And with sexual abuse, um, and of course with assault too, but sexual abuse, um, the the piece of the breach of trust or misuse of power. Hmm. Um, And sexual assault is often violent and sudden. Hmm. So so abuse can be maybe more long-standing like it's 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 not just a one-time occurrence although it is it can be yeah it can can be as well but if we were to make a distinction between the Mm -hmm. two sexual assault may be that more sudden Mm -hmm. violent occurrence and sexual abuse may be this more prolonged thing although they Mm -hmm. can both be both uh, Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. that's helpful so how i mean we had we're in the heels of the me too movement Mm -hmm. um or the the back end of it. I don't know yeah. <laughs> what the right term is there. Uh, we're we're around the Me Too movement. Um, but I, I think pe- people are still wondering how prevalent this is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had we had an episode on sexual assault where we kind of laid out some statistics. Okay. Um, so maybe, maybe how prevalent is sexual abuse mm-hmm. um, in society? And then I want to kind of get into how prevalent maybe it might be amongst children okay. um, compared to adults. I don't know if you have statistics on this, but even just talking kind yeah. of broadly about it you okay. don't have to have like defined sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well about i it. have some so <laughs> um which is interesting because i mean off the top of my head uh from my training uh, both in school or other you know kind of workshop trainings generally i'd always hear between one out of three or one out of four mm-hmm. these women um but i this one's from the rape abuse and incest incest national network um and it actually said one in two women are sexually abused in their lifetime. Hmm. Um, one in five men. Um, it said every 73 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. Every nine minutes, that victim is a child. Hmm. Only five out of every 1,000 perpetrators will end up in prison. Hmm. 
And then 79% of female rape victims report being raped before age 25. Mm. 28% of male rape victims report they were raped by age 10. Mm. 42.2% of females raped before age 18. 88% of female rape victims know their abuser as an intimate partner, family member, or acquaintance. And 52.4% male rape victims report their perpetrator as an acquaintance. Mm. And this is this is tricky because with, with the reality of reporting, like mm-hmm. it's it's self-reporting for the most part, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't come forward. Yeah, a lot of people maybe even don't remember mm-hmm. um, or have blocked it out of their memory. And so mm-hmm. this is this is a, a hard statistic to come around to. And, mm-hmm. and we don't. It's you feel like you don't see it. Like mm-hmm. people be like, I don't see one in two women. Like I mm-hmm. I have a lot of women in my life, and mm-hmm. not many of them have been sexually abused. But I think. It's because so much of it isn't necessarily reported. Maybe it's not out there, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's a huge, mm-hmm. huge epidemic, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we often miss that, I think. Yes, yeah. I mean, whether it's the shame or, mm-hmm. yeah, just the people not remembering or there are these power dynamics that are mm-hmm. occurring between mm-hmm. um, between the victim and the perpetrator and, and how that leaves the, the victim a lot of times makes it difficult to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So how how does sexual abuse maybe affect someone? And let's start with maybe how does sexual abuse affect children? Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe how would it affect an adult? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll have a lot of questions <laughs> that mm-hmm. will come off of this. Okay. Um, so for some kids, sometimes it's difficult with kids to be able to identify it. And just because mm-hmm. kids display some of the symptoms I'll mention, it doesn't necessarily mean that they've been abused. But especially if you see several, I mean, you're at least alerted to try mm-hmm. to understand what's going on and mm-hmm. and hopefully um, be able to actually enter into therapy or, you know, just um, help help the child, you know, feel safe enough to maybe be able to share. Um, but although often they, they still won't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for children, the some of the symptoms... Um, could be, you know, nightmares and anxiety around mm. bedtime. Uh, you might see bedwetting past the appropriate age. Potentially some preoccupation with their bodies. Uh, maybe some anger and tantrums that don't make sense or it's different. You know, something kind of spiked. Mm-hmm. Um, depression, um, withdrawn moods. Uh, also with maybe frequent um, urinary or yeast infections could show up. Mm. Um, maybe you'll also start seeing sexual knowledge and behavior, you know, just kind of pop up, um, that doesn't make sense or that, um, you know, as far as where did, where did that come from and that it's not age appropriate. Um, but Mm -hmm. again, these symptoms aren't, aren't proof, but, but, you know, something to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And how, so say you were sexually abused as a child, Mm -hmm. as you're an adult, how is it affecting you maybe to to this day so say you're a 25 year old woman and you were abused when you were 10 mm-hmm. how is it maybe still affecting you now mm-hmm. are there certain markers of this um, what does this look like in someone who's an adult now mm-hmm. yeah i mean it, it does depend um you know on the nature of the abuse the person you mm-hmm. know um maybe even yeah the, um the relationship between um the two people that were involved um, so as far as the severity and, and what that might look like, it will, you know, depend person to person, but, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of survivors often report feelings of, uh, shame, you know, mm-hmm. terror, guilt. Um, there might be a lot of self-blame mixed in there too. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly depression is pretty common. Um, you know, and, and that sense of losing bodily autonomy is really difficult to deal with. 
mm-hmm. uh, with that, you know, with the, the loss, you know, and helplessness and, you know, um, being overtaken, there could be strong f- sense of hopelessness or even despair. Mm-hmm. Um, self-worth, you know, mm-hmm. is, is often affected. And uh, and with the depression, the intensity and duration of it, you know, will vary, you know, person mm-hmm. to person. They'll also, you know, anxiety would, would be pretty common. Uh, this, you know, might be fearing the attack that occurred, that it could happen again in some kind of form. And again, it depends on, you know, what what had happened. Uh, could it even experience panic attacks? And uh, it could happen, too, that people could develop a, a fear towards a type of person that, hmm. you know, that they were interacting yeah. with. And there just can be these reminders and triggers. Yeah. Um, so PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, could be something that the person is affected with. And that's an intense remembering of the abuse with sometimes flashbacks that, you know, could be very disruptive to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and coping could be difficult for some people. And that could lend to different types of addictions. Yeah. Um, just with the intensity of um, all the, you know, emotions and effects that we just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, abuse survivors are 26 times more likely to use drugs, mm. according to, you know, a particular research study. Uh, another way of coping is to dissociate. So kind of leaving mm-hmm. one's body when the incident was occurring. Mm. And so that could kind of still be a way of relating or being and and maybe even in particular to sexual activity or intimacy Mm. um, that that could happen it doesn't necessarily mean it will Um, and along with that too uh, that some uh, victims will numb themselves you know sexually Mm. in in the genital area um, in you know in the act and and that might you know kind of repeat itself Mm. um, around even arousal um, with intimacy and especially during unwanted sexual touch. But th- but there might be conflict. They might want that, you know, but then there's mm-hmm. this automatic bodily mm-hmm. kind of response. Yeah. So that it's it's pretty devastating. I mean, the, yeah. the effects. And, it, and it's also hard because people can have a lot of those symptoms without being sexually abused. Mm-hmm. So it's if you are a friend, it's mm-hmm. probably pretty hard to know mm-hmm. unless they tell you mm-hmm. this is why they're acting this way or maybe this is why they struggle with this or this mm-hmm. is what led to this. Mm-hmm. And so it's pretty hard. But maybe looking again at the the victim here, um, I have a lot of friends and acquaintances and have read stories about abuse victims. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know for for a lot of them, the story maybe didn't come up when they until they were like 25 mm-hmm. um, or is really repressed or when they first remembered it, it, it wasn't really abuse. And then as they remembered it more mm-hmm. and came to more grips with it, it came as abuse. So, so for someone listening to this, maybe they haven't fully come to grips with their own story. How would they go about that? Like, mm-hmm. how do you as a, an abuse victim maybe come to grips with your own story of abuse? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um we start on the the one the one end where there's something that feels resonant, but there isn't a lot of clarity. Hmm. Um, I, I'd say you know to 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 like maybe other things in one's life to to just kind of take notice, be aware, and as difficult as it is, just kind of remain kind of open to to what that what that might be. So noticing mm-hmm. the emotions, or I mean, just kind of an odd feeling or sense of thing. Just just trying to mm-hmm. to. Yeah, be open to that. Um, someone that's a little bit more aware, but ha- maybe hasn't had someone to walk alongside them, and so it's difficult mm-hmm. to to even sit with their own story. Or there's, you know, um, it feels patchy. You know, their own mm-hmm. story. I mean, same thing as far as you know, just a kindness, gentleness, openness towards oneself, um, and 
I mean, if it, you know, it depends on a person's sense of safety. I mean, that's a huge piece in this as far as um, being able to, you know, talk to someone. I mean, maybe potentially seeking uh, professional help. But if there are some, you know, a trusted friend or, you know, someone that's trusted to, to, to be able to share if that's something you feel um, you'd like to do, but that's not something you necessarily have to do or should feel mm-hmm. pushed to do either. Um, yeah. It's... Yeah, I mean, if if there's there's things that kind of make sense, things that don't, it's kind of maybe yeah, kind of. I I have my kind of my my palms open right now. You know, just this sense of being open, not necessarily grabbing because you're not quite sure, um, mm-hmm. but being you know tending to it and mm-hmm. and letting things kind of unfold and yeah, and at least tuning into your body, tuning into, um, you know the emotions that are arising you might not always know the details you know sometimes mm-hmm. especially if it was younger mm-hmm. earlier on in someone's life um and they you know they might kind of know or maybe someone told them you know had verified it actually did happen or maybe no one verified it but there's just these bits and pieces it's mm-hmm. um not necessarily rejecting it although i mean mm-hmm. then paying attention to that process as well but yeah. as far as kind of owning being able to own one's story or coming yeah. to it so how how does maybe sexual abuse affect memory? Because I know a mm-hmm. lot of people, especially with the Me Too movement, um, with more and more women coming forward about different things, even men coming forward, sometimes their memories are a little scattered. Mm-hmm. And so people then will say, oh, they're lying or mm-hmm. they're not telling the truth. But I think it's because a lot of people don't understand how mm-hmm. abuse affects memory. So could you maybe mm-hmm. explain to, to the audience listening right now, how does mm-hmm. abuse and specifically sexual abuse affect one's memory? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, memory uh, in general, um, like not not any one of us can actually say that we are remembering a certain incident um, with 100% um, clarity. Like it, mm-hmm. it actually, there's something that kind of shifts and shifts and shifts. Hmm. Um, and so that's just, you know, kind of a true statement about memory in general. Um, for someone that, you know, was abused, you know, at the, yeah, you think about what's going on in the body, the the brain, you know, um, the amygdala, I mean, just your whole fight, flight, freeze kind of response going on. Um, and, and certainly body memory, you know, as far as like, I mean, you might feel Mm -hmm. something again, you know, and it's just Mm -hmm. like, what is this? And there might be, there might be an emotional memory. Um, I, I don't know the exact age, uh, as far as like, children being able to remember i mean you know the younger Mm -hmm. years a lot of times children might not remember concretely you know the memory in that sense um and and even uh, um older children may kind of block out sexual abuse or abuse Mm -hmm. um but they may potentially be able to remember it Mm -hmm. and so it it does happen you know and Mm -hmm. and I can't speak to the whole like false memory syndrome. Yeah. I mean, I've, yeah. I know that was a big thing, like I think in the nineties and, and then it goes back and forth. And, um, I think the important thing is if, if, you know, you have a friend, um, or someone, you know, that, uh, comes out to share, you know, this and, and they're probably hesitant to even talk about it. And maybe they're, they're actually not fully clear as well. I think it's not necessarily our place to question like, mm-hmm. well, tell me what happened. Do you know, yeah. you know, did that happen? You don't have to be the detective no. and figure out all the details. Exactly. Yeah. Um, to, you know, just kind of be with them. I mean, there's something that's distressing to mm-hmm. them. 
um, if they say that they remember, uh, you know, or that, that they're describing an, an incident, that's, um, I mean, even then, I mean, really mostly listen, you know, and compassion, mm-hmm. ask, you know, what, what can I do? Is there something mm-hmm. you need from me? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, kind of certainly veering away from the uh, yeah. detective investigative kind of approach. Yeah. And then people that don't have clarity about it, mm-hmm. um, you know, the confusion that you as a listener may feel, I imagine the confusion that, you know, the victim mm-hmm. is feeling and, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of be with them in that place. That's got to, you know, be really tough. Yeah. I know some listening might be thinking, okay, well, if you can't remember the abuse, mm-hmm. how does it really affect you then? Mm-hmm. Because if you're not, if you're not tangibly remembering it, then you don't have this memory of trauma. Mm-hmm. But obviously I know that's not, <laughs> that's not the case. Things mm-hmm. can affect you even if you don't remember them. So what, how are the ways that abuse can affect you, even if maybe someone doesn't have a clear memory mm-hmm. of it? Like they don't have this vivid memory of this traumatic experience. They just have little pieces mm-hmm. um, or they just have this feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, can you flesh out a little bit more? How exactly can a an abuse affect you maybe subconsciously mm-hmm. um, that mm-hmm. maybe doesn't always show up mm-hmm. um, in your conscious memory? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's not uncommon for people to come into therapy for other reasons. And then as Mm -hmm. a result of being in therapy, that somehow, you know, some, you know, that there's attention drawn in, in, you know, this area, whether it's like fully known or not, that actually Mm -hmm. sometimes that's a lot of people don't just seek out therapy just for sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. It comes up in the midst of coming in for a different reason. It's common enough. Yeah, yeah, that that's kind of how it goes. And, um, you know, there's there can be. A lot of difficulties, um, just in interpersonal kind of relationships, maybe in particular intimate mm-hmm. um, kind of partner um, relationships, maybe fears, um, you know, just like you start. Yeah, I mean, that it, it's in these nuanced kind of things in an intimate setting where something just, you know, mm-hmm. might be maybe a reason why someone seeks out mm-hmm. um, counseling, maybe it is the depression or the anxiety, you know, that's just kind of there. Um, mm-hmm. And... So they seek out counseling and then there's more exploration, you know, with the therapist mm-hmm. just asking questions about relationships and what yeah. are your romantic, you know, what's your dating history like and things of that sort. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I, I, that's helpful because I think people won't realize how, like, how does abuse come up way after the fact is what mm-hmm. someone might be thinking. Because um, they're not maybe really understanding memory. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not understanding how things affect us subconsciously. Mm-hmm. Um, like where the reality is, is that you don't remember probably 90% of your childhood, mm-hmm. but 90% of your childhood is probably affecting somewhat of mm-hmm. how you are living now. And mm-hmm. even an anecdotal story, I can remember, this isn't about abuse, but I remember one time I had a girlfriend and we were intimate in the backseat of the car. And it basically, I just had this trigger moment mm-hmm. of like, I just got really anxious um, and didn't know what to do. And because we were about to take the next step of commitment to to being more, even more official than what we were, be more serious. Mm-hmm. And I, I freaked out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it led me into counseling because I'm like, okay, <laughs> something happened here. What's going on? Um, yeah. And through counseling, I found out that I've had some intimacy issues mm. rooted in my childhood and different ways of being seen and how I, mm-hmm. I feel known. And so if that can be true on a smaller scale with mm-hmm. me. Uh, it's not abuse related, mm-hmm. but it's like this little memory or this little event triggered me going to seek help, which then brought up all this stuff that I had forgotten yes. from my childhood then of course so much more can it come up in a way with an abuse victim mm-hmm. where it's something in an event happens and it triggers them to get counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like a lot of people, because of that, what happened in the 90s with the false memories, mm-hmm. um, people are not trusting almost of counselors where they think you guys are trying to almost 
mm. bring up abuse yeah, <laughs> almost to, yeah mm. like Draw you guys are just, you guys are trying to just bring out the worst of the worst mm. and even forcing memories onto mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. which i don't think is the case maybe a few counselors have done that mm-hmm. but people are i think are pretty even in this me too movement we're still not trusting enough mm-hmm. of people's kind of a current experience or mm-hmm. recollection of their abuse mm-hmm. and it's it's just interesting to me that just because they don't remember it clearly, mm-hmm. we then distrust that it actually happened. When it's like, if you don't remember cre- clearly the baseball game you went to when you were 10 mm-hmm. with your dad, mm-hmm. no one's now going to be like, oh, you must have not actually went because mm-hmm. <laughs> the score was mm-hmm. actually nine to six and yeah. not eight to five. Yeah. Um, and it, But for some reason with sexual abuse, we mm-hmm. there's something in us that doesn't want to believe it. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if it's rooted and we don't want to really acknowledge just mm-hmm. the reality mm-hmm. of what's happening mm-hmm. um, and, you know, really good people that are committing these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, l- l- maybe we can dive into a little bit of how do you find healing in this? Um, if you are a sexual abuse victim, how do you go about finding healing mm-hmm. um, from your abuse? So let's say this person maybe is a little bit into counseling is aware of their incident, has somewhat a recollection of it. So they're aware of it and they've made some dot connections. So this Mm -hmm. isn't like they have no idea it's Mm -hmm. even there. Mm -hmm. How do they go about finding healing um, in this? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think that a person has, like every person has to go to therapy. Um, Mm -hmm. But if it's something that is available, that it it may be um, some, you know, one thing, one of the things that can be really helpful to do. Um, you know, to be with someone that you trust and you might need to, sh- you know, shop around, you know, make sure it's a, you know, a therapist mm-hmm. you feel really comfortable with because safety will be very important, um, for the person, um, you know, diving into, yeah, I mean, traumas and it, in a sense could feel almost re-traumatizing, you know, kind of mm-hmm. revisiting places and, and if it hasn't been, you know, dealt with, that means at the time that it, it happened, there wasn't, you know, adequate help already. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot even surrounding that to have held that in for that many years mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. couldn't really turn to the people that are supposed to yeah. protect me, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, it's very delicate because there's a sense of the openness, but uh, and you could lean in, but you don't want to push. You know, um, I mean, there might be different, you know, um, there's probably different approaches of therapy, um, but my general experience in working with individual clients, and um, I also worked five years leading a support group for women coming out of the sex industry, which over 90% of those women were sexually abused as children. Um, That is, it's, I I don't think, you know, pushing and being aggressive, Mm -hmm. um, especially aggressive, you know, aggressiveness is a Mm -hmm. part of, um, the original kind of uh, harm that took place. Um, but, you know, just leaning in and, and uh, a sen- I mean, the sense of safety is so huge. I mean, I have seen that in time when the person is ready, that different pieces will kind of emerge. And, and there's, mm-hmm. you know, each time a piece emerges, there's so much there to tend to and mm-hmm. work with. I mean, there's, again, I mean, it's, it affects your body, you know, the memories, the thoughts, you know, if, if they're there is a sense of like flashbacks or just an overwhelmingness of intensity of affect along with self-esteem examining, you know, um, how are the interpersonal relationships going? So there's so many pieces Mm -hmm. for, you know, kind of each, each thing that pops up. I know counseling is, it's becoming more, I think, acceptable Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, as like a, yeah, yeah, like people are pushing Mm -hmm. for counseling and I think it's a good thing, but I think there's still a good percentage of the population that, 
has either tried counseling or mm-hmm. has done it for a period and then said, I'm getting worse and I'm mm-hmm. not getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, in my study of counseling and you as a counselor can back this up or you can disagree with it <laughs> either way, um, that normally you, ha- you might get a little quote unquote worse in the process mm-hmm. at the beginning mm-hmm. because it might be a little re-traumatizing. Mm-hmm. But the hope is that you're, you're going back to old painful wounds mm-hmm. to heal so that you can move forward. Yeah. Um, but it's often in that step of going back that I know most people, and I'm not going to gender stereotype, but mostly a lot of my male friends mm-hmm. um, are scared of getting into counseling because they're like, I'm just, this is the way I am. Yeah. I'm not going to change. Yes, I was abused as a kid. Yes, that happened. But I'm, I'm generally okay now. Uh, yeah, I know I have some repressed emotions. Yeah, I know I have some ways I act out wrong. Mm-hmm. But counseling is just going to be too hard. Mm-hmm. Like it's going to be too much for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't, going into that and flaring up all those wounds, I don't know if that's going to actually help me. Mm-hmm. So if you had someone like that that was sitting in the studio with you right now, what would you be saying to them mm-hmm. um, that maybe encourage them to, to move forward with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to acknowledge, you know, just the validity of what what is, you know, what the concerns are, and, and um, to acknowledge that it it is hard. It was hard. Um, it's unfair, you know, to have to mm-hmm. re-experience something like that again. Face mm-hmm. it, um, almost doesn't make sense. Um, except, of course, you know, it's for the sake of, um, kind of going back to right that that part of you that got left behind or tucked away and mm-hmm. is just kind of waiting or in isolation um i i think because uh, i'm i'm thinking of the hopeful part of the encouraging part which i will get to but um i think there's a bit of caution and just jumping right you know right to it cuz i think it's important to say i i know i know that you feel like it's it's bad and it was bad um and it it will be hard. You won't be alone. Um, and part of it, too, to know what to say would be to also do a lot more listening, you know, just mm. kind of, you know, say some of those types of things or just kind of listen and hear what the particular concerns are. Um, but, yeah, if it's going to be too hard, it's too intense. I don't want to deal with it. I'm doing OK. I'm functioning just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a, a sense of hopefulness of, of that, you know, I, I have worked, you know, with many people who have um, courageously um, walked this path to healing and they have been able to find more joy and freedom, um, a sense of more wholeness and connectedness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I want to, I mean, you have to find what the motivation will be for that person to, you know, what, mm-hmm. it, what, in what areas are they suffering? You know, even mm-hmm. though it's like too, too hard to think about as far as taking the therapy step or the healing step, um, but to sit with them in, in that area of where they are suffering and mm-hmm. and try to, you know, um, you know, it's tricky as far as like I'm just thinking of like the per- like to persuade because that dynamic in and of itself, like being coercive or mm-hmm. um, persuade that that's a very not for everybody, but that can be that's a common enough dynamic. That's a slippery slope, you know, in working because mm-hmm. there, there sometimes was a lot of coercion or. Mm-hmm submission you know kind of into mm-hmm. situations that were very unwanted and the person felt helpless so um it's very delicate you know mm-hmm. um but maybe yeah but being able to reference that uh, you know that it is hard it is tough um it's doable um mm-hmm. and they're the, um with the right people you know there can mm-hmm. be uh, um good good healing and wholeness yeah and for those of you listening who maybe haven't been through counseling mm-hmm. or don't believe in it, that's okay. Like that's mm-hmm. there's valid reasons for that. And like counseling isn't the only mm-hmm. <laughs> way to find healing and help and 
therapy is not the only way. It's just mm-hmm. we believe it's a very good way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's one of the very best options. I mean, I even had a, a therapist describe it to me one time as, say, you, you started running this marathon as a 10-year-old kid. Um, and as you started about a mile in, you had someone jump out of the bushes, whether it was a, a mother or a brother, or a father, or a sister, or an abuser, or a friend, and they just broke your leg. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just kind of left you there. And so you, as a 10-year-old kid, that wasn't your fault. You didn't break your own leg. Um, and you had no one there to help you like reheal it. So you just splinted it up because you knew you had to keep going on with life and you had to keep going on with the marathon. But now as an adult, as you're still on the marathon, um, if you want to truly sprint in this marathon and truly be free in your running and not feel like you're kind of constantly running with this little limp in your step, it may require re-breaking the leg, mm-hmm. kind of going back to the start of the wound mm-hmm. um, and resetting it right with the right help and with the right care around you so that you can actually run in this marathon. Mm-hmm. But it's going to actually get you worse because re-breaking a bone might mm-hmm. get you worse for the first little bit, mm-hmm. but so that you'll be so much better going forward. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's true or accurate for everyone or the most accurate representation of counseling, but that was helpful for me mm-hmm. in being a, a pretty counselor denier <laughs> at first <laughs> of just like, yeah, I mean, why can't I just gradually keep on getting better like I have been? Why do I have to go back and, in a sense, get a little bit worse mm-hmm. to get much better? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of a delayed gratification um, mm-hmm. aspect. Um, but, yeah, there there are plenty plenty of ways of healing. Um, mm-hmm. Counselors are just specifically trained. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a place with good friends or a good pastor or someone who can actually listen and care for you, counselors are trained mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to to do that, to be a really good friend, to mm-hmm. be a really good parent, to be a really good um, kind of pastor in that regard. So and provide the, like the time and the space. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes that can be limited mm-hmm. and it depends on the severity, you know, mm-hmm. and the way that the person, how it affected a person. Um mm-hmm. But I think that's something that's just hard to find outside. Yeah. I mean, and, I and think it's space, possible. But yeah. yeah. And the space is devoted just to you. Exactly. Like where if you're with a friend or you're mm-hmm. with a parent or you're with a pastor, there's an aspect of it like this is a kind of an exchange, a two-way street um, mm-hmm. where counseling is way more of focusing just on you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mm-hmm. almost like a selfish thing, but it's a good <laughs> it's a good thing Yeah. because um, it's just like this this hour every week is, is just to let me process mm-hmm. um, and give me the space and the busyness of my life mm-hmm. um, to be able to actually look back. Yeah, so, to get the type yeah. of care. Yeah. yeah. That you actually deserve and mm-hmm. you need. So moving, moving from this, I know... I have a bunch of friends and, and acquaintances that are um, sexual abuse victims. And one of the, the biggest struggles is learning how to relate to the other gender, mm-hmm. um, especially if that was the if the opposite gender was the one that abused them. Obviously, there's a lot of same gender mm-hmm. abuse um, happening. Um, but let, let's focus maybe on those who have been spe- specifically abused by the opposite gender, whether mm-hmm. a guy abused by an elder girl that was mm-hmm. either a babysitter or a parent or a, a family member or in the same situation with a young girl. Um how do you as an adult now mm-hmm. um, work on relating to the opposite gender, especially in an intimate romantic situation when that aspect of you as a child was kind of mm-hmm. abused um, mm-hmm. and infringed upon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, like a lot of things we've, we've kind of covered, um, there's a sense of, I mean, first being able to acknowledge, fig- you know, figure out what, what, what is being affected and tending to that. Um, because it's, you know, it'll be different for each person, um, as far as how they might, um, be with the opposite gender, um, or the gender that, that affected them. Um, and so I'm just trying to think. So, 
uh, you know, it, it is different, you know, for each person. And part of that is notice, I mean, being aware again, you know, just um, noticing in interactions, what feels uncomfortable, what feels unsafe, maybe, um, maybe even jarring kind of thoughts, feelings, reaction, you know, body sensations and, and, and paying attention to that. Another, I mean, thing to, to pay attention to is the kind of relational pattern. Um, maybe it's the power dynamics, um, that could be, uh, with the, with the, the person that, you know, one's dating, um, you know, sometimes with, people who have been abused in particular not always but in particular if it was especially more chronic um, mm-hmm. but it can also just happen with you know like a single incident assault as well um, which because it's just as devastating too but in per- but especially if there was an ongoing type of dynamic so then that's getting into attachment potentially mm-hmm. or a sense of this is how I'm how I do you know how I relate or this is what I can mm-hmm. expect this is how I can expect to be treated um, and this isn't necessarily some a thought that someone has, although it can be. It's it's just kind of this automatic way of being that sometimes people find themselves in, like a pattern. Um, it's you know being overpowered or finding oneself as the one that wants to dominate. Hmm. Um, these are these are dynamics that that you know can can happen and aren't unusual um, to take place um, in. In psychoanalysis, there's a term we call repetition compulsion, where um, a lot of times we end up kind of almost repeating and finding ourselves in situations that mm. don't feel resolved in us. Um, and it's not it's not the fault of the victim. I mean, there's that that's not what this is about. This is more descriptive of like, wait, why am I in this type of situation mm. again? And there's just something that was so distressing, so harmful, um, and that that might kind of play out in that kind of way. And Um, And so, yeah, fine. If one is able to um, notice, be aware and then, you know, try Mm -hmm. to to seek out help um, to work through that, because it's if it's automatic and even with awareness, if it keeps being repeated, even with awareness, Mm -hmm. um, then, yeah, it might be really helpful to have another person to come alongside to really tease that out and Mm -hmm. and work and, and maybe learn new ways of being. Well, yeah, and some of the readings I've read, they've talked about stories of of couples where if the male was abused as a child, he could maybe respond by being a little bit more dominant mm-hmm. in the sexual relationship, especially in the same way uh, a woman could do that as well. But uh, maybe a more common or just sometimes seen uh, happening is when they were sexually abused as a child, now in their relationship, they they tend to be more dominated mm-hmm. in the sexual. It's, it's more all about the male's preferences, which is a greater cultural thing mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. well. Um, but yeah, there's there's an aspect of... If you're listening right now and maybe you are a victim of sexual abuse or there's something in you and you, you just feel this either need to dominate or be dominated, mm-hmm. um, that is not your fault. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like you are this terrible or monstrous person mm-hmm. either way. But maybe it's something like Dr. Ponder was saying, just like, oh, well, just look into that and maybe bring someone alongside you mm-hmm. um, who can help you, you know, dive into those thoughts mm-hmm. um, and where are those maybe coming from. Mm-hmm. So I guess a question even off of that is how do you become comfortable in your sexuality um, mm-hmm. and your sexualness as an adult mm-hmm. when if you were abused as a kid that thing maybe was that arena was kind of thwarted for you is mm-hmm. maybe even taken away and then it was even maybe suppressed as you got older and repressed because you had to mm-hmm. um, so how do you how do you become comfortable in your sexuality and your sexualness um, as an adult when you are an abuse victim mm-hmm. 
yeah, there's, I mean, I guess, you know, how do you do that on your own? How do you do that in relationship? Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like maybe in relationship is easier to just kind of jump on first. (laughs) Well, we'll stick with the Christian marital relationship or even dating relationship. Yes. Um, So if, I mean, certainly in marital and hopefully, um, you know, your spouse is someone that has become, you know, um, one of your safe uh, go-to people, um, you know, that's best case scenario. In that Mm -hmm. case, I mean, then you hope that your spouse, you know, you'd be able to share but part of the sharing is like it just something's happening in your spouse you know is attentive enough and might even Mm -hmm. just you know whatever you've developed as you know even a comfort that you need at that time but i mean it's gonna usually be a very slow gentle tender type of um being together um emotionally and then um there's i mean the importance of communication um although that can be difficult, but as far as, I mean, just the body, this, you know, the sexual, how, you know, how things feel sexually bodily for mm-hmm. you with your partner and, um, certainly being able to say no for things you don't, you know, prefer, mm-hmm. um, even, you know, even the small quote unquote, smaller things. When um, having a partner that respects exactly. your no as well. Yes, absolutely. And, and I think most partners respect your no in totality, mm-hmm. but it's always like, oh, I'm not, I don't like that or I'm not in the mood mm-hmm. and in classic, you know, American culture. Well, it's like, we'll just try one more time. And then she says yes then, or mm-hmm. if she's okay with it, even in a marital context. And it's like, oh, it's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But really finding a partner that will respect when you say, no, I don't want to do that sexual thing tonight. Or I, that sexual thing kind of triggered something in me. It's like having the wherewithal as a, as a partner to be like, oh, okay, this isn't about me. Yes. Isn't about like this shouldn't strike an insecurity in me. This is something in her story mm-hmm. or in his story that we just need to slow down here mm-hmm. and we're do something different. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Spot on. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> As an unmarried man, I appreciate that. <laughs> no, that's so important. Right. So yeah. it's it's both. I mean, yeah, that it's not just on um, the person that's been abused mm-hmm. to be the communicator. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, a sense of kind of awareness and even maybe educating oneself as the partner yeah. too, to know, um, yeah, the, you know, the, any type of communication that, mm-hmm. um, yes, yeah, is, is sharing preference or non-preference. Yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds like communication is really the big key because mm-hmm. in the sexual, romantic, intimate relationship of, let's say a married couple, cause that's the cleanest for us to work through as Christians. <laughs> um, being able to one know your story, mm-hmm. two have your partner know your story, mm-hmm. um, and three know maybe what things trigger you or what the feelings are when you kind of mm-hmm. get triggered or it's something you're uncomfortable with, mm-hmm. and that way you can know like mm-hmm. to stop or mm-hmm. know to ask to stop. Because um, I feel like if your partner doesn't know your story, and if you don't know your own story, mm-hmm. or if you don't even know some of your trigger spots, mm-hmm. it's going to be really hard in the moment. Yeah. Um, to be able to communicate needs, to communicate differences or wants. Um, and so it's so important that I think you have that partner. Mm-hmm. And that's the ideal, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you hope that. Um, but maybe even if a friend comes alongside you and helps you mm-hmm. understand your story, helps you talk through even your sexual relationship with your spouse, to know what's been hard, mm-hmm. um, even if you're not ready yet to bring your partner or spouse into it, or mm-hmm. it's, it's too hurtful because in the intimate sexual relationship rejection is a big deal Mm -hmm. and so even if it's rejection because of my own story because of my own abuse it still can feel really hard Mm -hmm. um, for the other partner so that's that's i think a big big aspect um 
that I think a lot of people just kind of take for granted. They know they know we're supposed to communicate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> every, right. every Christian knows communication yeah. is key to marriage. Yes. Um, but communicating mm-hmm. about deep, hurtful, intimate things, um, I think it's often missed just because it's it's scary. We don't know how to go down there um, mm-hmm. and really deal with the depths of that. Mm-hmm. But it's so needed, um, mm-hmm. especially if you're, if you are married to someone who hasn't been abused or if you yourself mm-hmm. are the abuse victim. And let's say you become more of the dominant mm-hmm. partner in this sexual relationship. It's very important that you know yourself and know your motivations um, because I feel like you could become very easily creating some type of sexual harm Mm. to your partner Mm. um, if you are acting on your need to dominate um, Mm -hmm. and to kind of recreate Mm. um, and you're kind of unaware of where that's coming from. Mm -hmm. But I guess in all this, how can the church um, come alongside abuse victims Mm -hmm. um, and how can we be a better better support to them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, as... I was thinking about that and just the importance of, again, a sense of openness and even a culture of dialogue hmm. um, and and not meaning that the abuse victim is pounced on, you know, yeah. or anything like that. But there just isn't enough conversation. Hmm. Um, and and I when there's openness and a, at least a culture of dialogue, then there's a sense of willingness and openness to learn more and i think mm-hmm. a tendency hope i mean the hopeful tendency towards being able to listen more and and kind of grow in that way um i think it's important for church leaders um both on staff and others that are you know volunteers who who are you know just working with people um to have some education mm-hmm. and um kind of some skills you know just to yeah. be prepared um, so that they're sensitive um, to people who have been abused. And then also for the church to know what they can do and then um, what they can't do or are more limited mm-hmm. to do. Um, mm-hmm. Some, you know, some churches, you know, have, you know, are able to provide a lot of resources for their uh, congregants, but um, some churches aren't as much. And even the ones that offer a lot of resources, you know, within that, you know, um, how to assess um, to know what their um, congregation member may need if they need to be referred out. Mm-hmm. But then even if their congregation members, you know, in church mm-hmm. or in counseling, um, they still need to, you know, just have a safe uh, church community as well if that's what mm-hmm. they'd like. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, not not being overly pushy. Um, I mean, kind of just, you know, like we've been saying um, about other things, uh, openness, um, sensitivity, gentleness, um, and just being willing to listen mm-hmm. yeah, and be there. I think even something as simple as having an announcement on stage of like, hey, if you are struggling with abuse of the past or currently experiencing some type of abuse, we have people here for you mm-hmm. that will be confidential and like we're not going to tell anyone. Yes. Um, just even letting people know from the stage, yeah. this is a conversation we're willing to have. Mm-hmm. Because I think churches are having these conversations, mm-hmm. um, especially bigger churches are, mm-hmm. um, and smaller churches. But a lot of people in bigger churches aren't even realizing that these conversations are like free to be had and a safe place to be had because they just don't hear about it. Yeah, um, people get lost um, in the cracks. Ministries and small groups often aren't announced, um, or people just don't know that there's these resources available um, for the congregation. Yeah, and so even having kind of a reminder every once in a while of like, hey, we. Okay with us, or even having like a panel on a, a Sunday night service, or having it's a, a sermon idea. dedicated to it once a mm-hmm. year. 
I mean, if the statistics that Dr. Ponder read earlier are true, then this is a conversation that needs to be had. Mm-hmm. Um, we focus on all the big relevant issues <laughs> of culture yeah. and things, um, but this one often doesn't get talked about mm-hmm. um, very often, especially from the pulpit. And if yeah. you have the leader, quote unquote, of uh, the church, which is probably normally whoever the pastor who preaches the most is, if he's the one or she's the one that can talk about it more, I feel like it'll create a community and culture that will be more open and accepting. Um, but there's the flip side of this, because the flip side of this is that a lot of these predators maybe, um, or these uh, these uh, perpetrators, are in the church mm-hmm. um, or on staff at the church. Mm-hmm. So how do we, this, this is a hard question, um, but how do you, one, help kind of stop some of these abuses from occurring? Mm-hmm. But two, how do we balance the reality of like if you have a pastor that's accused of sexual abuse by maybe a student or someone, mm-hmm. how do you walk with believing the student, mm-hmm. honoring their story, mm-hmm. giving value and validity to their story, but at the same time knowing that this pastor is maybe a highly esteemed pastor, has pretty good standing for the most part, how do you kind of walk the line between those two? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's very two very different questions. <laughs> so yeah, let's focus like, let's focus on the first one. The um, how can leadership. we yeah, yeah, how can we maybe stop some of these abuses from occurring. Um, what what can we do to be more mm-hmm. preventative? Um, I think it would be uh, helpful if churches actually were proactive and had some kind of policy in place. Just like I don't know, most workplaces have some kind of grievance procedure. But mm-hmm. if you know something like this or in other types of harm that can be done, that there's a procedure that way. Mm-hmm. It's like protocol. There's you know an accountability kind of system in place. Um. You know, I think sometimes um, we are wanting and very hopeful, right, in our church communities and, um, you know, it's like family for for a lot of us. And we can maybe be um, more trusting or just, you know, kind of let down our walls and just normal, I mean, you know, normal watching of our kids type of thing. And I... um, I'm not saying that we should walk around fearful, you know, questioning everybody mm-hmm. that we know at church, mm-hmm. wondering if, oh, you know, are, are you going to, do you have this, you know, hidden side to you? Um, but the things you would, you know, kind of have in place for your children outside of the church, why, you know, I think that there should be some caution there too. If we're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, adult to child kind of um, harm that potentially mm-hmm. can be done. Um, and then proactive too is, you know, what parents um, you know, just the ways that parents can um, kind of educate their kids, not not necessarily getting into the nitty gritty of this harm that can potentially mm-hmm. be done to you, but right, just mm-hmm. reminding them of, you know, if anybody ever invites you, you know, or, mm-hmm. or asks you to do something, you know, that you know involves your body or sexual or, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, going over that type of thing and, and saying like, you know, sometimes this can happen anywhere, you know, you don't have mm-hmm. to spook them that it's just the church. You can say, you know, this could happen if it happens at school, if it happens at church or, you know, just anywhere, you know, mm-hmm. even if someone tells you that you'll get in trouble or that maybe even the family could get harmed, like don't mm-hmm. believe them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that that'll be scary to hear, but, you know, come tell us anytime, mm-hmm. you know, that type of thing on yeah. the prevention side is I think you know, things we can do. And and that church, you know, the church as the organization, you know, can have things in place such as background checks for like volunteers. But, mm-hmm. um, but I know, you know, that if it's just a random congregation member mm-hmm. and they're not volunteering and, yeah, and you can't get a background yeah. check on all of your congregation. Yeah. So, yeah. So what, what would you do maybe in the situation that I described of like, you have a 12 year old middle schooler 
that said the high school pastor who's been there for 20 years um, inappropriately touched her after a youth group one night at like 9.15 p.m. or something. How would you maybe, and I know there's no clear-cut answer. I'm Mm -hmm. not expecting you to be the expert (laughs) on this. Um, But how do you go about, because I think this is common. I've been in a situation where one of my friends was accused of sexual assault. Mm -hmm. um, And he had told me about it years prior. Um, and, but she was saying it was sexual assault. He was saying it's consensual and I didn't know what to do because mm-hmm. I feel like I was kind of caught in the middle where I, I really wanted to believe the victim because mm-hmm. I, my first response is to believe the victim and show care and believe her story. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, this guy was my friend and he, I haven't ever seen anything really before. And I kind of believed him as well. Mm-hmm. And I just really didn't know what to do. And I feel like that's the feeling a lot of people have when these pastors get accused or these youth leaders get accused. Mm-hmm. They don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So what would maybe be some counsel you'd offer in a situation like that mm-hmm. on what you should do if you were just a third party bystander? Maybe mm-hmm. you're not even an authority. You're not mm-hmm. in a charge, but you're just a congregant. It's just a congregant. Um, I'm thinking about for the victim, you know, what would be some of the things that he or she needs and it would be, you know, to be listened to, you know, I mean, again, mm-hmm. the to not necessarily take an investigative kind of route there there ha- there mm-hmm. should be someone else some someone in the system or or consultant or outside party that that kind of can take that role well, but... especially when they first share mm-hmm. like eventually you're going to have to get the details mm-hmm. like at some point or someone's going to have to get the details but your mm-hmm. first response should not be the detective exactly. investigative it should be understanding listening mm-hmm. empathizing with and concern yeah um, and then, yeah, certainly being able to separate, you know, that mm-hmm. relationship, um, and and as a, well, a, a con- as a congregant, then for, let's say the the accused pastor, um, I mean, I'm just I'm, where I'm going inside right now is because um, I'm just a congregant. I'm not having to take <laughs> on that kind of role. It's you know, tr- I'm, I'm just trying to find the heart of God for that pastor, and and how can I come mm-hmm. alongside. Him as well as far as far as the care you know mm-hmm. piece um yeah. i that's not my expertise as far as mm-hmm. um how to how to navigate kind of mm-hmm. the not just the legal but it's just it's another kind of territory yeah. for finding out the quote-unquote truth or that kind of piece but yeah. but 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 um i do think it's important that especially yeah just it, only being accused, but even if the pastor is found guilty, I mean, certainly disciplinary action. Um, but they, you know, he still, he, she are, you know, still needing care as well. Mm-hmm. And I think people are doing a better job about that. Um, but there's a lot, lot more yeah. room for improvement. Well, I think we often miss that perpetrators are human too. They're made mm-hmm. in the image of God. Um, they're not all monsters, although some mm-hmm. of them maybe did a monstrous thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that's irrevocable, mm-hmm. irredeemable in the action. Mm-hmm. But they need care um, mm-hmm. and they need Jesus and they need the church just as much as the abuse victim, mm-hmm. even though what they did was truly monstrous mm-hmm. and truly depraved. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something in them when, because when they were 10 years old, they weren't thinking, I'm going to grow up to be a 25-year-old or 30-year-old that does this to a child my age. Mm-hmm. But something happened um, or a chain of events happened or a chain of things happened where eventually they got to the stage and, and did something mm-hmm. just so monstrous. But they're, they're still not irredeemable. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, absolutely. But I think we often, we want to just vilify them mm-hmm. as, you know, they're the, just this pedophile or this disgusting worst person in the world. Because I think that makes us feel a little bit more comfortable mm-hmm. thinking, well, it's still not one of us. Yeah. 
Um, it's still not, it still can't happen within us because within us, it's all good people. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's normally why abuse victims don't get hurt is because we're living in this facade of a reality that it's only these crazy, creepy people that are abusing. Mm-hmm. Um, when really it's, it's your uncle, it's, it could be your pastor, it could be your youth leader, it could be an older sibling, mm-hmm. um, it could be a cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're human. Mm-hmm. They're, they could probably be pretty normal. Um, and so by actually vilifying them or making them a monster, I think we're actually hurting um, catching mm-hmm. some of these things before they happen because mm-hmm. um, we're thinking there's no way because my kid, this person's right. not a monster. Yeah. They would never do that to my child. Yeah. Um, but monsters aren't always the ones that are, are abusing mm-hmm. people. They're, they're normal people that have gone to a certain point of doing something monstrous. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think, yeah, you're right. I think we're getting better mm-hmm. at offering care to people like that and, and offering grace mm-hmm. um, to perpetrators while still not, still totally believing mm-hmm. um, the, the abused child. Um, but I think we need to hold that tension better as Christians mm-hmm. where it's possible to love the enemy mm-hmm. who is the abuser and love the marginalized mm-hmm. who is the abused. Mm-hmm. Um, we're called to love both. Mm-hmm. It's going to look very different. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, there's still the, yeah, the disciplinary kind yeah, of actions. Yeah. You the love's going to look very different. Re, you know, a sense of remorse, repentance, and mm-hmm. you know, action steps of change. Mm-hmm. But even and it, boundaries you put, yeah, put in place exactly. if they ever become a part of a church community again. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, they're still not outside mm-hmm. the potential kingdom of God um, mm-hmm. if they are still, you know, believing in Jesus, repenting, um, trying yeah. to be, be better than what they were. Mm-hmm. So I guess if someone, for our, kind of our last question, if someone is listening to this right now, um, let's say they're a 25-year-old female, a 32-year-old man, even a 50-year-old uh, man or woman, and, and they're realizing I have some undealt with sexual abuse from my childhood or undealt with sexual abuse from when I was younger. Um, I know it. I've kind of processed it, but I kind of just let it stay there, and I've just tried to let bygones be bygones and move on. Mm-hmm. Um Maybe they're not even thinking healing's possible. Maybe they're thinking I'm always just going to have to re- like relate to the other gender this way or to the abused gender's party this way. Um, what would be your hope you could speak to them um, mm-hmm. if you had a chance to speak to them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, it really is that healing is possible. Um, I know that sometimes with sexual abuse, because it affects nearly every aspect of one's being, um, that can be really overwhelming. Um, but it, sometimes, you know, not always, but sometimes it can it can help to know that many have, you know, already gone down that path and many have devoted and dedicated themselves to help people specifically um, to address, you know, this kind of harm and this kind of um, way of, you know, way of being injured. Um, think that it can feel, you know, that we're alone, that a person is alone. Um and so I, you know, want to, you know, just kind of somehow find a way to speak, you know, hoping to speak to that deep place in, inside where they feel alone. They feel like it's impossible. Like, well, you know, well, that person got healed, but they don't understand this piece of my story. And this is why it's not possible for me that um, that really like all different, you know, there have been so many different types of um you know, just ways that people have been hurt and that a lot of people actually do have, you know, skill and expertise and desire mm-hmm. um, to to be helpful. Um, and so, yeah, that there, that there really are people that understand and can help and um, that others, you know, have, have, have had that kind of courage, um, you know, and it, and it is very courageous to take that path. Yeah. 
Well, sweet. I think that's a good spot to end okay. on. Um, appreciate you being here. Yeah, um, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We hope that Dr. Ponder's words today gave you compassion for your story and hope for a future of healing. As always, we want to acknowledge that this episode may have triggered you. It may have brought up old sexual abuse. It may have brought up old negative sexual behaviors. It may have even stirred up old wounds. With all of these things, talk to someone you trust about it. Don't hold these things just to yourself. Bring people into your life and your sexuality. And again, if you could leave us a review or share this episode with someone you think it might impact, this all greatly helps us do what we are trying to do on this podcast, which is bring hope to those who are struggling with their sexuality, who are struggling with their sexual lives, who are struggling with even the idea of what it means to be sexual. And as always, may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.